Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is your author, J. Daniel Sawyer, and my novel, Predestination and Other Games of Chance, has just gone live on Podiobooks.com. For now, you're listening to episode 13 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Day 4. The previous night, Jeremiah's vegetables went bad, sending him into a panic that took most of the day to subside. Meanwhile, upstairs, Sarah is still sitting in her bedroom, unable to leave her bed for fear that the monsters might come out of the walls and attack her again. Chapter 12 E-7 Evening. Heated only by what leaked out of the spa and his own exercise, Jeremiah ran until he could feel the insides of his lungs crumbling into loose chunks of bloody slime. His breath fogged in front of him with every second step. It had only been three minutes since he stepped on, and already he was burning. He hadn't taken the time to center himself properly today, and it was killing his endurance. The only light that reached his eyes came through the glass door from the great room and from the rotating colored lamp under the water in the spa. When Katie stepped through the door and latched it behind her, he didn't even dignify her with a snort. She didn't wait around for one. She grabbed a pair of dumbbells and sat on the bench next to him, starting into a set of curls. Jeremiah ignored her, staring into the infinite imaginary runner's space in front of himself. He managed to keep it up for another eight minutes or so, until she switched from arm exercises to chest exercises. Try as he might, he couldn't keep his eyes off her tits, and he didn't want to give her the edge of staring at her openly. The best defense was to be as offensive as he thought he could get away with. What the hell are you doing in here? It was getting a little thick in there. Katie breathed between deep fly reps. Needed to blow off some steam. (sighs) Tell me about it. (sighs) Katie seemed not to hear him and kept pushing through her set, after which she turned over and started on the reverse flies. Why are you here? Katie stopped her flies and looked at him as if he were slightly denser than Forrest Gump. Uh, Because I come here every year? No. Why are you here? Now. Sitting there with your... Ass pointed up in the air at a complete stranger. You're one to talk, taking me to bed the second night here. Don't change the subject. You followed me in here. How stupid do you think I am? Como? Jeremiah slowed the treadmill to a walk so he could think straight enough to make his point. She sent you. You're my courtesy ride. Make the new guy feel comfortable. Make him feel safe. Give him a few quick fucks so he feels happy and slides into the cult faster. Fucking pathetic. 
His bitterness had gotten away from him, but at least it was out in the open now. Now she knew why he was pissed. He didn't have to hide it anymore. Katie blinked in shock, then sat up and set the two dumbbells side by side beneath the bench. Okay then, I guess I'll go. She stood to leave and started walking toward the door. Jeremiah sped up his pace to a jog again and failed to notice. You are such a joke. He let all the frustration drip off his fangs. You're all so funny. Oh yeah, life's just a barrel of laughs since you came around. She tossed it over her shoulder, and he finally registered that she was walking out on him. Not even going to put up a fight, eh? Katie stopped in her tracks and looked askance at him. Look to me in there like you can't cope with even a little friendly teasing. (laughs) In a fight, you'd fold like a pair of cheap panties. Try me. Forget it. Your reality check completely bounced before you ever got here. She shook her head hopelessly and resumed her walk toward the door. What? God, I mean, what the hell? You started angling for me when I got here. What was it? Fresh meat? She stopped again and put her hands on her hips. She grunted bitterly, and without even turning around, she muttered, Well, now you know what every woman in the world feels like. So you make up for it by running around naked and fucking everything that comes your way, is that it? She whirled on him with a sneer smeared across her face. You really don't pay attention to anything you haven't seen before, do you? He'd pushed her one step too far and he knew it, but he wasn't going to back down now. This bitch was fucking with him, baiting him, trying to get him to approve. He wasn't going to give it to her. He stopped the treadmill and held her eyes, waiting her out. Never mind. You're hopeless. Find a better way to kill time. What? You come in here, an invited guest, and start talking about people being in a cult. (laughs) On the heels of a Peter rally. There's irony for you. You don't tell people what you need and you don't say what you think. You complain about the nudity like it's shameful, but you strip right off with the rest of us. You sneer at all of us for being loose and easy. But I didn't hear you complaining when I was greasing your pole. You're a nasty, small-minded, insecure, petty, spoiled brat who thinks the world rides on his shoulders. What a fucking whore. So why waste your time? Because mommy said so? Forget it. She walked toward him, forced him out of the way, and retrieved the dumbbells. Fine. So what am I to you? She carried the dumbbells back to the rack where she'd gotten them when she came in. (sighs) You were interesting. And you had a lot of potential. Thought we had something in common. She looked him up and down, then shrugged. Guess I was wrong. (laughs) You and I never had anything in common. She smiled, as if laughing at a private joke. It was a cold, nasty look. He wished she'd just fucking leave already. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Really? He didn't believe it for a minute. What? La senorita. She nodded her head back inside. He assumed she meant Sarah. You're not cut out for this. If anyone else had invited you, he wouldn't have come. Seeing her with Garrett, with me, with Carol, is eating you up. So what? You're not the only one here in love with her. I thought it was a good place to start. Can't win them all. She looked down at the floor for a second, then started back for the door. He didn't know why, but he suddenly didn't want to let her go. Wait... Can't have to report to the Queen Bee that I couldn't make you a happy little drone. No, this was wrong. This wasn't what he wanted. Shit. Look, I'm sorry. Please. Sarah! Sarah. Somebody help! Somebody help!
Katie grabbed a couple of towels off the rack and raced to the door. Jeremiah was two steps behind her. He vaulted over the back of the couch and skipped across the top of the coffee table, gaining a few strides on Katie as he bounded up the stairs. Sarah shivered under the sheepskin Gerd wrapped around her. Despite his arms, and Carol from the other side, and the soft strokes across her forehead along the line that she'd once told him her mother used to touch to put her to sleep when she was afraid of the monsters under the bed, she just didn't respond. She stared straight ahead at the wall at the foot of the bed. He snapped his fingers in front of her face, but she wouldn't even blink. He hadn't seen her blink since he found her. Her eyes watered uncontrollably, the tears leaching off her eyes and down her cheeks and onto his shoulder as he embraced her again. Sarah, Sarah, come back. It's safe here. He had trouble believing his own words, looking around at the wreck she'd made of the room. But there were other rooms, other beds, places where she could be sure that her ghost wouldn't find her. He didn't need to ask what kind of dream could do this. He'd heard her stories, but she'd not had any for years. Why had the dreams returned now? Gerd tried to stay still, tried not to rock her back and forth, until he was sure she was there. Next to him, Carol's ministering face looked like a candy glass burial mask. A single drop of water might melt through the placidity and break the pit underneath wide open. Katie skittered to a stop in the hall, catching herself on the open doorframe. Jeremiah was two strides behind her. It was a pity. They'd probably need him before the day was over. What happened? Gerd? I came to look in on her and see if she was sick, and I found her like this. The boy behind her suddenly remembered he had legs. He jumped past Katie, nearly knocking her over. Sarah! He stopped suddenly at the side of the bed, reached past Gerd, and grabbed her face. Jeremiah's hand suddenly going from threatening to gentle right before they touched her. Sarah, look at me! Gerd's heart seemed to shrivel a little bit. Her eyes didn't move, even as her head was forcibly turned toward the dancer. They remained fixed on that damnable spot in the wall. She didn't react. Sarah! Jeremiah shouted, and she nearly jumped out of her skin. What? Jer Jeremiah? Sarah pulled back, her head darting this way and that like a rabbit catching the scent of a fox. She returned to the boy as if he were the only thing in the room she recognized. Jeremiah, 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 Jer Jeremiah, Jeremiah. She stopped, as if trying to remember something besides his name. Then she gasped in renewed panic. Her arms darted out from the folds of the sheepskin between Garrett and Carol's arms and seized Jeremiah's shirt, yanking him towards her. Nose to nose, her eyes got wider than an owl's. They, they, oh, oh my God, they... Her desperation seemed to shatter before she could form a sentence, and she broke down sobbing. She buried her head in the crook of Garrett's elbow. Shh, child. Shh. It will be fine. No, no, God, no. Sarah shook her head as her voice rose. She ripped her arms back from Jeremiah, pushing Carol and Garrett out of the way and pressing the heels of her palms to her eyes. She turned and fixed her wide eyes on Carol. No, no, they, no, 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 no. Oh, God, oh, God, no, 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 they, no. No, no, they, they could, <laughs> the sobs racked her body again with violent spasms. She ducked into a fetal position, fighting to contain herself. She stayed there for a good two minutes, her breathing slowing down toward normal from her panicked panting. Ever so slowly, she rose to her full sitting height and met Carol's eyes. Then she looked over to Katie, then to Jeremiah, before returning her gaze to the spot on the wall that... 
Evidently, only Gerd had noticed. Adele entered with a steaming washcloth, which Katie took from her with a grateful nod. The small sculptor rushed to the bed and began cleaning Sarah's hands. As the tacky blood washed away, the extent of the damage to her hands became apparent. The skin on her palms was shredded almost to hamburger. Sarah winced under Katie's ministrations, but didn't pull back. Instead, she spoke as if she were a two-bit medium channeling a ghost in a B-movie. We have to go. We have to get out. They are coming. Gerd felt a cold shock creep up his back. She was still trapped in the nightmare. She thought it was real. Sarah looked at Carol again and this time nodded towards the wall. Carol followed her eyes and gasped. The decadent cloth wallpaper was scratched and scored as if someone had been trying to dig through it with a knife. In the center of the scratches, sticking out from a pit in the plaster, stood a nasty-looking shard of glass covered in dried blood. More blood was smeared across the frenzy of scratches. Sarah's blood. It had to be. Oh, my God. Carol's eyes told much the same story. Looking around at the others, Gerd saw Adele and Jeremiah blanching at the sight. Gerd looked deeply into Sarah's eyes, trying to find her in there, but whatever piece of her had come to the surface had only stayed long enough to point out the madness of the wall. Kafka left more of Gregor in the roach than he could see of Sarah in her eyes. Let's get her out of here. Carol's tone was decisive, but as he met her eyes, he saw something else in there. Not the worry he'd expected. Something far, far deeper. Terror, maybe, or guilt. It was hard to say, but Gerd found the sight unsettling. There was an age and weariness in Carol's countenance that did not belong in the hearts of the young. It was a look he'd seen before, a long time ago, in the eyes of the Easterners looking across the frontier in Berlin. Gerd? Of course, my share. Gerd shifted his weight and slid off the bed, then slipped his arms under and around Sarah and lifted her, still huddling in the fetal position. She ducked her head into his chest and clutched at his sternum as he carried her out the door. As he passed Katie, she said, Take her to my room. I'll see to her wounds. Adele nodded past Gerd to Katie. Get her something to drink. Wait. Jeremiah grabbed the bloodied sheepskin off the bed and tucked it around Sarah's curled, naked, shivering body. He looked at her with a strained expression, then he nodded sharply. Gerd stepped out the door with his cargo of tragedy. He laid her down in Katie's bed, then stood off in the corner. He shook his head over and over, looking at Sarah's shivering form as if someone had ripped his heart out and ground it under a boot heel. Adele saw to tucking her in while Katie poured a gin on the bedside table. Carol sat on her haunches at the head of the bed, holding Sarah's face to her breast and stroking her and cooing as if she were a little child just awoken from a nightmare. Katie retreated into the hallway, and the three older held a silent conversation. Something had to give. They all knew it. Gerd and Adele slipped quietly out while Carol put Sarah down on the pillow. We'll be back in a moment, little love. Shh, just rest for a bit. Carol tiptoed out and latched the door quietly. Sarah was almost glad. In here, there didn't seem to be any whispers from the walls. Carol wrung her hands at the hem of her shirt. 
Whatever happened, it shouldn't have happened. She had no way to help, and being out of control was not something she was used to. It was seeing Sarah's hands that had finally pushed her over the edge. The slicing, all those deep cuts, the tendons underneath pulsing in the flesh. Would they ever heal right? Would they even be able to get her some kind of medical attention in time? She didn't have any of the answers she should have. Carol looked around at the worried faces of her family, the only people in the world who mattered to her worth a damn anymore. Nobody wanted to say what they were thinking, so she did. Her hands are going to take forever to heal. Katie shuddered. She used the glass to carve into the wall, God. Whatever could make her do that? More important, why didn't we hear it? Adele voiced the one question they were all afraid to ask. She smashed the window. Did anyone hear anything? One by one, around the circle, everybody shook their head. Nobody had heard anything. Carol. Kevin looked up from his former posture, studying the floor. There's been weird shit happening ever since we got here. What in the name of Thor's testicles is going on? Now it was Carol's turn to shudder. I don't know. You've owned this place for a year. How could you not know? It's just an ordinary house. That makes people hallucinate? What, do you have an LSD lab in the water well? There's nothing wrong with the house, Kevin. It's just cabin fever. People go crazy when they're cooped up waiting for rescue. Jeremiah shifted uncomfortably. For a solid minute, he looked like he was trying not to scratch an itch. Then, almost mumbling, he said, No, it's not. I, f I found something. What? In the garage, yesterday, when you guys... Jeremiah nodded to Kevin and Amos. Left me to look for the fuel pump. It's... I don't know what it is. Amos raised a skeptical eyebrow, as if he wondered just whose perceptions could be trusted after a morning like this one. Show us. What the hell is that? Carol's face went ashen when the false floor of the garage cabinet slid aside to reveal a floor drain. Or at least it looked like a drain. Amos squatted down next to Jeremiah, edging him out of the way. The ribbing in the plastic ran lengthwise down the pipe rather than in circles around it. There was a strange, green light coming from somewhere down within it. Floor drains usually used black seepage piping, but this was a slate-gray PVC with thick walls. There was no dirt screen over the opening. Amos tapped at the inside edges of the drain and shook his head. I've never seen anything like it. He held his hand over the hole. There's no airflow. It's not a vent shaft. Sewer pipe? Kevin tapped Amos on the shoulder. Amos shuffled sideways to give Kevin a better view and looked over his shoulder so he could see everyone's face. No. Carol's voice was thick with control. She was as freaked out by this as the rest of them. There wouldn't be a light coming from it. Jeremiah stood up, not taking his eyes off the hole in the floor. Does this place have a basement? Adele ducked down into Jeremiah's place next to Kevin and took her turn examining it. Carol shook her head. Not as far as I know. I've never found one, except the crawl space for the pipes and the well. She drew her shawl a little tighter around her shoulders. At least it wasn't in the disclosure documents. Neither was any of the rest of this. Amos stood up and tucked an arm behind his back. 
Something was making him itch. He found himself reaching for the small of his back where, years ago, he'd gotten used to the weight of a forty-five. You get a lot of flooding up here, right? Yeah, quite a lot. Could it be emergency drainage? The missionary shifted position and put her eye all the way down to the pipe as if trying to look around a corner. I don't know. Amos crouched again, trying to get another look around her and Kevin. What about that light? Let's use a mirror. Take a look. Ten minutes and one dental mirror later, Amos crawled on his belly into the cabinet. He lowered the mirror into the pipe. To get deep enough to see around the bend without blocking the opening with his hand, he resorted to holding it with a pair of needle-nose pliers. Ah, there we go. He scooted into position and peered down the pipe, maneuvering the mirror carefully. Looks like a... there's a little gauge of some kind. There's writing on the side. Man, I hate reading backwards. Amos shifted his position so he could get a better bead on the label and muttered as he read, Shasta County Flood Control District. Well, that answered that. Amos crawled back till his shoulders were clear of the cupboard, then handed the dental mirror to Gerd and accepted Kevin's hand up. It's a flood gauge. And the light? There are some LEDs on it, probably to make it easier to find a service. Carol nodded, but it seemed a cold comfort to her. She met his eyes, and she seemed to look through him as if she were afraid he wasn't really there. Well, there's one minor mystery out of the way. Minor? This still doesn't tell us what Sarah was digging in the wall for. Gerd patted Kevin on the shoulder, but he didn't look like he was in any shape to give reassurance. The walls will be there tomorrow. Chapter 13 E-7 Night They say in space... No one can hear you scream. They'd said that on the poster for Alien, and as far as Kevin was concerned, in the pantheon of boneheaded things to say, it was right up there with, Water is wet. Sure, it might be true, but it only sounded like it meant anything when it was intoned by some trailer voiceover guy who sounded like a refugee from a throat cancer study. But there was one place no one could hear you scream when it mattered under a 40-foot snowdrift at the ass end of nowhere, when someone was in trouble. Not even two days had passed since they found themselves locked in, and already people were splitting at the seams. There was something about all that snow that made everything feel muffled. Every sound, every breath. Kevin didn't like it one bit. None of them could sleep, but two hours of playing chess with Garrett after dinner hadn't even taken the edge off his worry. It wasn't just Sarah attacking a dream, or Jeremiah stupidly mistaking a drainpipe for something horrific. He'd had his own moment the other morning, in front of the mirror. Just thinking of it made him shiver. It didn't help that everyone was playing innocent of having dosed him. He trusted Carol, at least, to have told the truth when he'd asked, but it didn't matter. He didn't feel like he'd been dosed. What he'd seen in the mirror that morning might have been a hallucination, but it wasn't drugs. 
and that left only one very unpleasant theory which would have held up under any rigor. Cabin fever was starting to have its way with his brain, and had since the first morning they were buried. It was the one theory he couldn't afford to accept. The chess was good for a distraction, but it didn't actually help. Katie came down some time later from taking care of Sarah. It had taken hours, but she'd finally fallen asleep. That didn't make a difference either. Everyone seemed to suspect that the rules were changing, and the furtive looks that shot between them all were laced with worry, questions, and fear. How long until they'd all start to go? Dinner didn't bring any joy to the house. Neither did the hot tub. Eventually, by an unspoken unanimous agreement, everyone filed upstairs. Kevin found himself walking next to Adele to the landing and into the hallway. It was nice. In front of them, Carol seemed to wander, lost, as if she were walking through ruins. Adele noticed. She reached out and touched Carol's shoulder. Carol, are you okay? Yeah, fine, fine. She looked back and nodded reassuringly, if unconvincingly, and stopped. Just naked. Carol drew her shawl tighter about her shoulders as if it were the only thing keeping the atmosphere in. Amos, loitering at his door a few steps away, seemed to see her pulling in on herself. He walked her and wrapped her up in his arms as if trying to return to her a portion of the comfort she'd given him over the past couple days. In the morning, we can ask Sarah what happened. Maybe she'll be okay by then. She'd better be. Kevin knew his grimace wouldn't light any windows, but he was too tired to play the optimist. Something doesn't sit right. Katie joined the gathering. Jeremiah slunk up behind and circled around. She will be. I'm going to look after her tonight. Jeremiah? Huh? Yeah, sure. Fine. Carol nodded. Almost a shudder. Amos nodded at Kevin and turned away, guiding Carol down the hall to her room. Carol was leaning on him as if she didn't have the heart to continue on her own. It wasn't a sight Kevin found comforting in the slightest. Adele followed them, slipping into her room. Gerd shepherded Katie and Jeremiah into Sarah. He lingered for a moment at the door, his face stricken in the bedroom light. Kevin felt forgotten as Gerd's head dropped to his feet and shuffled to the bathroom. His dear friend looked beaten. Gerd never looked beaten. Amos and Carol had almost reached the end of the hall. Kevin didn't care to be the last one out, alone in the dark. He quietly slipped into his room. At Carol's door, Amos stopped. Carol cocked her head at him, asking with her eyes what he was doing. Amos looked back down the hall, making sure they were alone. He leaned in and whispered to Carol, I didn't want to say anything in front of the others. Carol blinked and looked up at him, tired down to her soul. What is it, love? The windows. They're polycarbonate. Bulletproof. Yeah, they have to be to keep out, well, avalanches. She shrugged. Then how? 
Did she break it? Carol gasped. The blood drained from her face. Amos continued. My thoughts exactly. I don't like... The bathroom door opened. Amos shut up as Gerd marched out of the bathroom and across to his own door. Amos didn't want to look at him. He knew that look too well. Carol nodded down towards Gerd. I should. Yeah. You should. You'll be okay. Sweet Carol. Always the ministering angel. Amos nodded. He wanted her to feel free to go to Gerd rather than thinking she needed to take care of him again tonight. They're just dreams. He kissed her. Carol pulled slowly back. She floated away from him and went to Gerd. She took the large man's hand and kissed him. Softly, gently, she led him to bed, the door closing behind them. The house shifted uncomfortably, groaning in the dark. The tick-tick-tick of the generator in its insulated cupboard provided a baseline rhythm and counterpoint to the ticking mantelpiece clock. Upstairs, Amos tossed uncomfortably in his sleep while across the hall Katie and Jeremiah curled around Sarah, holding her between them like a temporary truce. In the bathroom, Carol shrugged into her kimono after her shower. She always wanted a shower after a day like this. Something about the steam, the heat, and seeing herself through the fog in the mirror fascinated her. Looking deep into the glass, she thought she could see herself as she once was. Younger. Brighter. A version of herself that had figured out how to move fast enough that time slowed down, where she could stay forever out of reach of decay. She returned to Gerd's room and hung her shift over the doorknob, then slipped into the bed. She spooned behind him and kissed his neck. She'll be okay. Gerd nodded, and his voice sounded relaxed for the first time since the afternoon. I know. Will you? She nodded into his neck. Kevin slept on his back, still as a coma. At first, he didn't seem to feel the motion as the small bumps, like invisible fingers, perturbed his sheets, trailed up his skin, pressed deep into the flesh of his neck. He shifted abruptly, like a dog chasing a fox in a dream. He groaned softly as if protesting an ache while a small bump beneath the covers traveled up his left leg from the foot of his bed, stopping in his crotch. For a moment, everything stopped. His breathing, his heartbeat, all sense of life in the room. Then, all at once, he jerked, he moaned. His hips gyrated and his prostate clenched, sending him into orgasm after orgasm. His eyes fluttered. He flailed his arms as if he were falling. Cold sweat burst out from every pore, and he shot upright, fully awake. The world seemed to slide sickly over itself, as if reality were a slug skating on a salt-covered table. His eyes zipped this way and that, trying to find something that he'd seen, something that he... that he... couldn't remember... After a few moments, 
he lay back down and closed his eyes, and the dizziness and nausea seemed to melt away. After the space of a few breaths, he knew nothing more. The tired, old fibers of the ostrich feathers found the mantelpiece. It whisked the thick dust away with practiced ease. There were no cobwebs, no real grime, but the dust had to go. It was what feather dusters were made for in the first place. It was important. Down the length of the mantle, in the darkness, while the house slept the sleep of the dead, the duster swirled until the surface stood proudly, ready to face anything, even inspection by artists. You've been listening to episode 13 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade. Used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple. Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis. Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein. Miss Callender as Sarah Evans. Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato. Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden. Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Beyond the Goblin Market lie the remains of a lost and broken kingdom divided by war. It has been over for centuries, but the kingdoms still stand apart, overrun by a creeping goblin darkness known as the Darken Involved. It has been written that only one holds the power to turn that darkness away. Only one can reunite the kingdoms, but she has no memory of her former life. Are you prepared to go beyond the goblin markets and into the Darken Involved? Follow Meredith on her quest to find herself and save her sister from the cruel curse of a slighted king who would do anything to make Meredith his bride. Enter, if you dare, through the gates of the Goblin Market at www.jenniferhudock.com slash goblin hyphen markets. I'm Brian Clay, author of the Kingdom Crisis Anthology Podcast. You're treating your auditory senses to Down From Ten, by the indisputable king of podcast production, J.D. Sawyer. Kevin, Carol, Jeremiah, Sarah, Amos, they've all seen something. But was it real? And if it wasn't, 
What was it that attacked Sarah and now Kevin while they slept? Why did the fractals go away? Why did the meat pipe turn back into a regular drain? And how did Sarah break the polycarbonate window with her bare hands? I wonder. Sorry for the delay, everyone. Things have been crazy and are getting crazier. Don't worry, it's a good thing. But that coupled with this episode being that one special episode that happens in every novel where every time you fix a problem, something new pops up. Yeah, it's been like that. But it's good stuff. We finally got a release schedule for Reprobates. We've got Robin Hathaway confirmed to return for Free Will, one of many who are returning. I'm gearing up for World Fantasy Con and for the Triple Threat. You'll be hearing me soon with my cohorts Philippa Ballantyne and Chris Lester on shows like Geek Cred, Wander Radio, I Should Be Writing, and Patio Rackets Blog Talk Radio. If you've got a show we haven't booked yet and would like to have us on, send me an email. We would be delighted to darken your doorstep and spread our madness to your corner of the potosphere. For those of you who have been asking about reprobates, it's coming back November 1st and will drop bi-weekly for at least 12 episodes, maybe more. We've got a big backlog of very interesting conversations to bring to you. New artwork coming this week for the new volume of Antithesis, Free Will and Other Compulsions, is rolling out. Come by and check it out on Thursday, October 15th. It'll be on the main site at jdsawyer.net and on the Antithesis site at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. Which reminds me, Predestination is now live on Patio Books. Please, if you liked the book, go over there and review it. That's at patiobooks.com. Look for Predestination and Other Games of Chance. There's five episodes up there now. There will be another four or five releasing this weekend. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Just in time for the ramp up to free will. Ah, gotta love it. I will be at World Fantasy Con this Halloween weekend. If you're going to be there, look me up. We'll get a drink at the bar and talk shop. Gail Carriger's Soulless is on shelves and doing very well. If you haven't read it yet, you can now find it almost everywhere. If you have read it and can't wait for more, don't worry. The sequel, Changeless, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. If you're still not sure if you want to buy Solus, check out the free sample chapter on this feed featuring George Klentzos, Miss Calendar, Chris Lester, and myself. Watch the blog this week for a guest post by Gail on doing background research for steampunk writing. If you haven't ordered your predestination poster yet, don't delay. Only $17.50 for a signed, shipped, glossy, printed, full-sized poster of the glorious picture of a woman grabbing hold of the moon. You can find it under the swag tab at www.jdsawyer.net. I'll be recording a Down From 10 feedback show this weekend. Send your feedback in by Saturday to get it on the show. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, death threats, they are all welcome. The feedback you've sent in so far has been wonderful. It's a pleasure hearing the different ways this story is connecting with so many of you and pissing a few of you off. 
Send email to feedback at jdsawyer.net. Leave voicemail at 206-350-5739. Leave comments on the blog at jdsawyer.net. And, of course, if you are enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes, and blog about us. Also remember that you can drop a couple of bucks in the tip jar at jdsawyer.net and on the Down From 10 blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. A portion of all proceeds also go to our composer extraordinaire, Danny Shade. And there's cool stuff coming from Danny Shade very soon. I will be uh, sharing the news with you over the next couple episodes. Next time, what will happen when Sarah wakes up? What will she remember? And will Kevin remember anything of his dream? Will he even wake up at all? And perhaps most importantly, what is Gerd really capable of? Find out next time, and remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten. Ten.